You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there, Stu Goldsmith here. No proper episode this week. This is what we're calling a panamble. Uh, there were a number of suggestions uh, for what this would be, um, what this would be called rather, a polyamble and a, a, a ramble and so forth. But I think, I mean, Buxton, come on, he's got he's got ramble on lockdown. The reason my postambles are called postambles is because they're a preamble that happens post instead of pre. So I'm not going anywhere near anyone's ramble territory. Um, but uh i think i think panhandle is quite a fun name isn't it because it because it suggests panhandle and that's a funny word no matter how it's used um so this is a panhandle this is an episode in which i'm going to discuss a thing that happened in therapy if that bores the tits off you turn off now um it's a thing i wanted to to i just sort of want to say out loud to someone really i said it out loud to uh, uh amanda donnett friend of the show and also uh the person who did that brilliant uh self sort of compassionate self-care and self-help for comedians uh special episode that you'll have heard if you're in the insiders club um i mentioned it to amanda and uh that's the first time i said it out loud to a person and so that that was earlier today that spurred me to um uh, sort of record this and this is very much one of those ones where i'm like will i put this out yeah sure i don't know is that annoying to hear i think that's a bit annoying to hear isn't it because it, it's like it's like i'm sort of congratulating myself in advance of being brave enough to share it if you're listening to this then we're all special <laughs> um so i think i need to be a little wary of i mean oh but the other thing i will get there in a second i promise the other thing is that I'm on holiday this week, so I'm recording this a week in advance uh, so that Nathan Wood, our producing hero, can put it out. Um, and uh, and then I basically, I've got a couple of episodes now in the can, so rather than prep a full episode and kind of rush it out, I thought I'd do this instead. None of that. You didn't need to know any of that. This is, what is this? This is like Twitch, but there's no one here. <laughs> this is, I'm sitting in my cellar where I would normally back in the days when i was on twitch um it's not lost forever but honestly god if you're still subscribed to my twitch channel please don't pay any more money i think i make 50 quid a month from people who are subscribed to my twitch channel there's literally no content on it if that's the way that you'd like to support me can i suggest that you do it by joining the insiders club because then i get most of the money as opposed to 50 percent. but um yes anyway the little twitch diversion there my point is this has a similar sort of crazy person in a cellar talking to themselves vibe to it. So forgive me if this is more than usually mad. At least normally when I post Amble at you, I've got something to sort of pin 
you know, I've got content, actual useful content. And then someone said to me that uh, someone had said to them that they there was an episode of the podcast once where they skipped straight to the, the postamble. And I was absolutely taken aback. And maybe that's only happened to one person by one person once in the history of the podcast. But it made me think, well, yes, maybe I should uh, give you... I've, I've skipped a couple of postambles recently, so this is a panamble, right? It's pretty ambient, and we're only at three minutes, 15 seconds. Um, which you should never say. I don't think you should ever say the time out loud, because obviously now you're going, God, really, did I waste that much of my life? No, are you? You're probably not. Just because I would think that doesn't mean that you are. And here we get to the stuff, right? One final caveat. It's probably not a good idea for me to have a big revelation in therapy and then immediately share it with everyone. That doesn't sound like what therapy's supposed to be. But this one was sort of, it's just sweet. And it made me it made me very happy. On October the 14th, I tweeted one minute ago, and this was true to the minute, one minute ago, I literally said out loud to my therapist, great work, big gold star for you, mate. Great therapy. <laughs> and um, and I just thought I'd tell you what that was about. I might, what should I call this episode? Great therapy. <laughs> Something like that. Um. Here's the thing. I have no plans to stop doing stand-up comedy, right? Let's begin with that. If you work with me or uh, <laughs> or if I make you money uh, or if you offer me gigs, don't think that I'm quitting comedy. Absolutely not. I have no plans to stop. But over the last couple of years, as we have all felt the kind of ramifications of a big break, a huge change, the big, you know, the big COVID change, and the loss of live work and the the implosion of the circuit and the resultant kind of excitement and and um uh energy that people myself included have thrown into myriad different projects i think i'm using the word myriad right there that reminds me of um a, is there a joke about a funeral where someone comes up to the people are taking turns to come up to the relatives and one of them just comes up and says plethora and the grieving relative says thank you that means a lot <laughs> lovely um so everyone's been doing a lot of different stuff. And for my part, and I've sort of reflected on this in public every six months or so on various people's podcasts and on this one, and privately, constantly every second of every day, I started really doing this um, this business speaking stuff in earnest, and uh, but not earnestly, I hope. And I love it. I love it. And if you were my best pal in the pub, which you are, for the purposes of this conversation, the way I'd be framing it is, it started off as sort of a side hustle. Now, that's not entirely true. It started off because a couple of you who are listeners who became friends and then became mentors, uh, including uh, Carl, Ren and Barb, thank you to all of you, um, told me I could do it. They said there is a value to the world of the stuff that you talk about on the podcast, not simply being some interviews with comedians, but instead you talking in a sort of accessible and interesting and, and sort of energetic way about some of the things you've learned. And I thought, for sure, for sure, <laughs> you know, but that was all fear. And they very helpfully, those three, helpfully, very helpfully, those three people in a very helpfully way, they very kindly helped me to articulate those things get them on paper get them up on their feet and then other brilliant people like um uh i mean lots of you damo helen people lots of people come to mind uh phil um they and i'm, I'm not identifying these people by their surnames not because i don't remember their surnames i remember the surnames of everyone i've just said and that's good because i don't remember everyone's surname 
Um, but also because I haven't asked if I can wang on about them on an episode. Um, but a bunch of people gave me the opportunity to put the stuff on a stage and, um, you know, in front of their people at work or what have you. The way I would frame it is normally, oh, it started off as sort of a greasy corporate side hustle. And then it turned into a thing that I really love doing. It didn't. I'm sort of being casual when I say that to to my friends. Really, it started off as sort of me thinking there's... I just got the bit between my teeth to do something else. I was scared of doing a different thing in a different way. Do you know what I mean? But stand-up's always scary. I mean, it, not maybe not scary is the right words, but there is always the kind of like, whoop, there's the little tickle in your tummy. Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. That's always there. But this was just different. And it's been 15 years. It's been 15 years of stand-up, 16, I think, and um, and 10 years of street shows before that. Um, and um, And so this has been differently scary. And it's been building a different thing. Part of why the podcast, part of why you are listening to the podcast right now, right now, right now, is that I... Uh, I like getting absorbed by something and having mad plans and ideas. And the reason there's an insiders club is because I took myself and you donated money. I said, after three years of doing the show, I I said, eh, you could donate some money if you want. After someone gave me a fiver at a festival, suddenly loads of you donated money. And I went, oh my God, I could, I could fly myself and put myself up in a hotel at the LA podcast festival. So I did that. I met loads of other podcasters. And then I, through the podcast, I ended up getting invited to the Montreal comedy festival. And there I met someone from the south by southwest festival who then i was able to not just go and uh go and sort of see all of the wonderful things that they have there and and participate in a, in a podcasting sort of way but also go to these huge tech conferences and podcast meetups and what have you so all of this stuff sort of blossoms and the more i kind of get my teeth into it the more how can that metaphor possibly end it blossoms i get my teeth into it <laughs> and then what can you do that and then I get pollen all over my face, <laughs> right? So, um, so I'm really enjoying. I'm just enjoying it all. And here's this is the part of the point. Because I've been enjoying it so much, I have occasionally felt not exactly treacherous about comedy, but sort of a little bit like, oh, I've got a new girlfriend. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've got a new. I've got a like. I've got a new buddy. I've got a new thing going on in my life. And um, and it's absorbing a lot of my attention. And one of the things I think you need to do as a comic, don't know how healthy this is, but you need to be obsessed with it to get you through the tougher bits. And I've been feeling a bit less obsessed with it. So I spent a lot of time over the, the last 18 months thinking, I think I, I might have mentioned this before, I, I posted on a on a Facebook thread of comics I sort of tried to articulate the feeling. I was agreeing with someone about them feeling something similar. And I said, it's like, yeah, I never want to go to Nottingham for 150 quid ever again. But if I don't, what the fuck am I? And I think a lot of people responded to that. And a lot of other comics were like, yeah, I know, right? So I Nottingham's a great place to gig. And 150 pounds is real. <laughs> Even once you take out the, the agent's fees, the travel, the food and the tax and everything else, it's still, it's a real thing. And I'm grateful for it. But what am I? If stand-up is so vocational, how can I how can I think about doing another thing? Every time I would feel like I'm with my new friend, this speaking to business, articulating ideas, you know, and even that material started off being a sort of, you know, in the open mic stage, it was a, a grab bag of things about which 
I things I could say definitely from the podcast is this, there's this. These are ways comedians cope with things. Maybe these will be useful. And as I've done it and done it and done it, it's really refined itself. And I've ended up creating material within it and drawing my own analogies. And I've got some great stuff about a welding mask and a pack of cards and things. It's like all really original content that sort of articulates an idea that I believe very passionately and makes it accessible and interesting and, and quirky and what have you. What I'm saying is I'm I'm so excited about it. It's weird to feel so excited about something when I've just been excited about comedy for 15 years and I have drunk very deeply from the cup of comedy, right? This podcast, I mean, there are, I don't, I mean, look, I'm not the only comic that obsessively analyzes comedy and talks about it all the time. I'm just the one that you listen to at this moment. And maybe you listen to loads of us that do it. So it's not that it's particularly special. It just means I have been very, very absorbed. So I've had this crisis of identity. Who am I? Am I a comic? If I do something else, am I less of a comic? Am I less real? And I had this cracking piece of therapy where we really, having done loads, this isn't an overnight revelation. I've been seeing this uh, brilliant therapist for probably a year. Um, and uh, we kind of got to a point where I recognised that I recognised something really root, really root cause about my feelings towards comedy. And that is that I frequently don't feel like a success. And if you're listening to this and you're one of the many absolute high-level multi-squillionaire comics that, that I know listen to this show, and from your perspective, then you might be thinking, yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean. Or you might be listening to this from the perspective of a, a newer comic or even just, you know, there's a ladder, I'm at a certain rung, maybe, you're a, maybe you've got those rungs between you and me still to climb. Um, and you're thinking, wow, how can you not feel like a success? It's, it's, there are certainly people out there who are like, how can you not feel like a success? But there it is. We got to the bottom of some of this. And I got to the bottom. Now, this is dangerous territory, I suppose, because part of comedy is it's showbiz, right? And the important thing in showbiz is to constantly project to everyone that you're a success. You know, if you want to be a star, act like one. You can't be going in and going, um, excuse me, I, I might be a star. Stardom is a whole other conversation. Um, but that was a, a satisfying thing to realise a few years ago. Thanks to my friend Tony doing some uh, practice NLP coaching on me, that actually I'm not that interested in fame. And the opportunities in my life where I've had little dalliances with fame, I found it quite unsettling. And I've often said that one of the lovely things about this podcast is it makes me famous to people who have opt only to people who have opted in to thinking about ideas. So like, if anyone recognises me, they pretty much, the fact that they recognise me means that they're nice and thoughtful. So very lucky on that. Work, works for me perfectly. But not feeling like a success. And we all have that thing. I remember Alan Cochran on episode whatever it was, eight or eight, maybe eight, nine, ten, saying um, he feels he felt like the invisible man of comedy. And so many people have said that to me since then. So many people. And I, you know, the invisible person of comedy. It's a shame you try to sort of de-genderise it, but the invisible person isn't a famous novel. But there it is. Um... We all feel like that. A lot of us feel like that sometimes. Some of us feel like it often. And one of the things that has been so useful about the therapy I've been doing is that I have recognised that not only... Like, it's easy to glide over. God, comedy costs us something, eh? And and it's easy to glide over that because obviously it costs you something. It's socially isolating. And, and sometimes you have to make that into a thing you feel noble about. I've been driving up and down motorways for 20 years. And you can look at that and go... Well done, mate. That's a badge of honour. Or you could look at it and go, oh, God, really? Is that what you did? 
I just remember me and my friend Jeff when we were street performing in uh, in Sydney in like 2001. You'd get to the, some odd little town out of nowhere in Australia, middle of nowhere, and someone would go, oh, I've been working. They wouldn't let you on the pitch. they go, I've been working this pitch for 20 years. And we'd want to look at each other as if to go, really? That's pathetic. Why didn't you move? Why didn't you grow? So it's easy to 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 take for granted how demanding this job can be. The isolation, the hard work, the disappointments, the envy. All of those things. And I think because I talk to other people about them on the podcast and sometimes it feels noble to suffer them in pursuit of one's art, I hadn't taken the time to notice how much I suffer from those things, how much those things affect me personally. And they affect me personally a lot. And part of the reason, of course, why I constantly broadcast on this show the idea that there is no industry, reviews are meaningless to the artist that's I've, I've refined my position there. What I say is there's no such thing as reviews. I stand by that. You know, why I constantly broadcast and rebroadcast the idea that it's you and you're only in competition with yourself. And as Simon Munnery says, your comedy career is not a race, it's a dance. All of those things. The reason I wang on about them all the time is because I need to feel them. I want to feel them and I want to believe them. Because often I don't. Often reviews are very important to me, or the idea of them. I still I persist in not reading them, but I still wang on about not reading them. Why? Because it's important to me, you know. So one of the ways in which I didn't feel successful and haven't felt successful is that I'm, and I kind of drilled down into this uh, last week, is that I don't feel like I'm in demand in the way in which I could be. For sure I'm in demand. People ask me to do their gigs way in advance you know like you you there would be a certain and again no no there's no lesser nobility in it if you're the sort of person who isn't booked much but is often booked to replace people that's a thing too all of this is allowed you know i am in some demand but there are the faces we know who are the telly faces and i've been through several waves in my you know in a 15 16 year career of course you will go through waves of like this is the new batch of telly faces this is the new batch this is the new batch in some, I've done some telly. I'm very lucky. You know, I, I've done, there I go again. I'm very lucky. I've done some telly that I earned, that I deserved. <laughs> and, um, and equally, I know that there are other telly opportunities out there that I would do fantastically well on. And I have, and I, sometimes I have no bitterness about that. And other times I struggle not to feel bitter. And so I do an episode about how bitterness is bad, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's because it's meaningful to me. So we got through to that level, that strata of, Oh, I think maybe what I want is to feel is to feel more in demand. And then we got through to well, why? And I realized that it's because I want to belong. I want I really fiercely want to belong in comedy. And this is the good bit. Because it turns out, and again, she's so good, my therapist. She didn't say any of this, she let me work it all out. Belonging is a bit like being cool. If you decide that you're cool, you're cool. You don't run around telling everyone. You just internally decide. It's like that thing in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was it, the monks of cool. Oh, is it? it maybe it's in a, maybe it's in a Dirk Gently um, by Douglas Adams. If you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, um, the monks of cool. They spend years training in how to be cool, and then they get shown every outfit in the universe, and they have to pick one, pick the coolest outfit, and the correct answer is whichever one I choose. Right. In the same way, belonging is a thing that you decide. You can't belong in comedy because you've won a bunch of awards. That doesn't mean you belong. Sorry, award winners. 
you know, it might be that someone has given you a piece of glass where it says effectively, this person belongs, name of act belongs in comedy. According to the people who inscribed it on the glass, they don't decide. You decide. The audience don't decide. You can be the most famous comic in the world and still feel like you don't belong. You decide. You have to decide. And I realised that. And I realised that, oh, that's where that feeling comes from, that feeling of not enough. For me, only not only for me, but I'm only talking about me and everyone has got very, you know, would, wouldn't it be lovely if, uh, <laughs> if uh, all therapy for comedians was a half hour podcast that you could listen to? <laughs> it was, it's that once and you get yourself. This is myself. I recognise that that feeling, the desire for more is because of a, a, a need to belong. That's what I loved about street performing. I belonged. The community in all its wonky, awful glory. You know, this the street performing community was in many ways when I was doing it, this incredible team who were on a sort of lifetime perma heist and also a short-sighted boys club in many ways. You know, it was... Um, but the, cru- the crucial thing is I, it made me feel like I belonged. And comedy, when I got into comedy, made me feel like I belonged. All of those, and I say this, I try and say this to newer acts without sounding like daddy comedy and in, inevitably fail. Um, those years of working the open mics and seeing the same faces and having a community and going for drinks after gigs are so precious. And those years don't necessarily end, but they certainly change and they modify. And when you're all in there, in the trenches, in the shit, going, oh, God. Who was surrounded by mad people and tough gigs and pulled shows and all sorts, you know, there is also something kind of glorious about that because you're all in it together. And then when you start to go off and, and do your, oh, you're the, the new kid on a, you're, you're middling on a bill or open micing on an out of town bill somewhere, there's less of that. There's a whole new thing to be, oh, I belong on the bottom rung of this and the bottom rung of this and next up on the, you know. That progression, you know, is is a means of continuing to feel like you belong. And then, I, obviously, I'm sure part of this is informed by the fact that I feel this more keenly because there's been a big pandemic and people haven't been working and I've missed green rooms and what have you. But recognising that I've been struggling to feel like I belong, that's the, the root cause of it, and recognising that actually the secret to belonging is simply to decide to belong is is really it's, it's really good gang it's really good and uh and it's so nice to think to myself oh i could i'm not going to stop doing comedy but if i try it as i did with my therapist if i try a thought experiment whereby there are some are there some circumstances under which i could stop for a bit for a while for good, just stop whatever that concept is for the thought experiment. Are there circumstances under which I could stop and still be happy? Well, yes, because if I decide to belong, then I can still feel happy. And of course, the lovely thing about that is now I've resolved that. I don't need to stop suddenly. You know, it, what, what it's resolved for me is not, oh, great, I'll never do comedy again. What it's resolved is that tension. And I'm doing a really good mime with my fingers here. That tension between the two parts of me that have been pulling against one another like oh i found a new thing that i love but that means doing the old thing less and the old thing's an obsession slash no no no, it's a vocation and it's noble slash no what's really going on is i don't feel i i feel that if i stop for any length of time the scary thing certainly when you've got kids certainly when you live outside of major major cities 
you feel like, oh, if I stop, when will I get, if I get off the horse, when will I get back on? If I don't do Edinburgh next year, for example, will I do Edinburgh the year after? Or is that the beginning of the end, all capitalised? So, um, so to recognise that, oh, that tension comes from a fear that I will stop belonging were I to stop for any length of time. And to recognise then that, oh, no, I won't. I won't. I can do precisely as much or as little comedy as I want for the rest of my life. And I still belong because I've decided to. I don't know the point at which one earns that. I would suggest that if you're an actor who's done two stand-up gigs in order to say you're a stand-up comic on your CV and get invited to more commercial castings. No, no. Do you know what? You belong as well. If you've ever done it, you belong. Um, And my instinct there of like, well, maybe if you're an actor who's lying, who's kind of tricked your way in. You, but then you don't belong that that othering of someone else that no you're in the out group i'm in the in group oh that's transparent isn't it that's me just trying to belong again so it'll take a while to unpick this stuff but it's that kind of thing i mean the next stage is probably a more zen thing when you go there is nothing to which to belong <laughs> but for the moment let's assume comedy does exist in some corporeal state corporeal who knows um so there we go that's a nice thing i thought and maybe that will be of use or interest or just risible <laughs> to you. I just, I, you know, what I suppose, let's widen it out. Are there things in your life that you feel compelled to do? I think it's comedy started to feel like a compulsion. It has, be, it has been a compulsion. And I tell you what, here's a positive note. Is this? I thought this is a bit. This is very, very inside baseball. I, as much as okay, here's a here's a here's a personality thing. Here's a way of looking at elements of your personality. I found this very helpful. I may have spoken about this before. Once you realise that some of the things you want are polar opposites of other things you want, you can feel a bit less mad, right? So you feel like if you if you want security, but you also want adventure. You can feel a bit mad because you want two opposite things. If you want a family, but if you want independence, you can feel a bit mad. I desperately want this. I desperately want that. What do I do? You have to recognise those things can be elements of those things. can be polar opposites. They're on a slider and you have to decide where on the slider you are. So one of the sliders for me has been security and adventure for a long time. You know, if I don't want to be famous... I certainly got into comedy not to be famous, but like to challenge myself, to feel proud of myself and to have an adventurous life, to have an alternative life, which was a big deal to me then. And it's sort of done enough of that now to go, okay, fine, that's that. But to have an adventurous life. And security and adventure were very, uh, I, I wanted both. So I ended up taking and becoming good at and leveraging for wages TV warm up. I did loads of TV warm-up. I used to do, have I spoken about this on the show? For three years, I was one of the two, I shared the job with another comic, one of the two warm-up comics for Loose Women. (laughs) And uh, hey, do you know what? Some of them were absolutely lovely to me. Um, And uh, the majority of the ones I worked with were were lovely to me. But that job didn't suit me. I was able, I had the skill set, but that wasn't a thing that I wanted to do. And it might have cost me a bit of traction as a comic because you'd do a two-show day and you'd be knackered and you'd got your adrenaline fix of having performed so it's easy to think shall I go out and do two open mics tonight and work on some stuff no I think I'll go and relax because I'm tired because I've been through the <laughs> through the performative ringer one way or another so I did that because I I prioritized security 
And that doesn't feel like a very, I'm not, that doesn't feel like a noble or proud comedian saying that. Like, you know, I did the warm up for loose women. Um, and, uh, as you know, whilst also being a comic, doing other gigs and stuff, but maybe not as many other gigs because I was prioritizing security. And similarly, I suppose there is a slider whereby there is desire and compulsion at the other end. And I think sometimes I've been in the middle of that. I've wanted to do it for its own sake and it's fun and it's exciting and, and you get to feel really good. But I've also kind of tried to ignore the fact that part of me felt compelled to do stand-up. And getting inside that and getting underneath that, what was that compulsion? Is And all of this, I mean, all of this is caveated by the danger that you do enough therapy to not be funny anymore. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We've seen that happen to people, I'm pretty sure. Mentioning no names, people who were very, very exciting get happy and then are less funny. That is another way that my own my own psyche is trying to talk me out of healing because actually there are loads of people who've done therapy and stayed very, very funny indeed. Um, so let's let's call that the norm rather than this sort of made-up idea of, oh, yeah, everyone knows, you know, the clown needs to be crying on the inside. Um, so. I've been getting under the skin of where that compulsion comes from. And I really feel like it has unlocked something in me. So at the end of the day, I mean, this is, gosh, half an hour now. And what's the moral? (laughs) What's the moral? Go and have some therapy, mate. Just go and have some therapy and commit to it. And if there are things, I think the problem that I went to my therapist was, hey, I have, apparently, I've got a perfect life. I love everything I do. Uh, I've managed to turn the thing I love into a very effective uh, career and have a wonderful uh, family and everything's happy. So why am I feeling like something's wrong? And she really was, over a lot of time, able to get to some of the bottom of that. And so you should do that. And now I would like you to visualise the meme of Skeletor running away from the camera as I say, until next time! (laughs) 